0: Amen. Can everyone hear me okay? And welcome. I was hoping that with half the room leaving, half the heat would go, but I'm not sure that's, that's happened. But welcome. To, I really love gatherings like this. I love celebrating the arrival, uh, the lives of, of Elspeth, of Emma, and Olivia. And we welcome them into our, our church community. We welcome them into God's family. It's a good thing. It's a day of celebration, isn't it? We celebrate the promises of the parents to build family life with God at the center. And you can probably tell we're fairly relaxed about children here. Um, That certainly helps when you have three very energetic children yourself. But you know, bringing children up isn't that easy. In fact, parenting can be really quite hard. A parent's dedication is tiring. It takes time, it takes energy, it takes love. And of course, there's pressure, isn't there? Pressure we put on ourselves, pressure that things like social media, on us, books, books that tell us what to do, books that tell us not what to do. And, you know, I was reminded of a tongue-in-cheek post that did the rounds on social media a while back about how to be a parent today. Listen to this. It says, make sure your children's academic, emotional, psychological, mental, spiritual, physical, nutritional and social needs are met, while being careful not to overstimulate, understimulate, improperly medicate, helicopter or neglect them in a screen, Process food free, GMO free, negative energy free, plastic free, body positive, socially conscious, egalitarian but also authoritative, nurturing but fostering of independence, gentle but not overly permissive, pesticide free, two story, multilingual home, preferably in a cul-de-sac, with a garden, <laughs> and 1.5 siblings, spaced at least two years apart for proper development. And don't forget the coconut oil. <laughs> and it carried on, it said, how to be a parent in literally every generation before ours, dot, 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 feed them sometimes. <laughs> but there's a question for us, isn't it? That's a question, what do we feed them on? And I'm not talking about that debate between macadies or-, or hummus, or a Krispy Kreme donut, or an apple, I'm talking about spiritual food. The most important food we can give them. The question is, you know, what's best for them, what's best for us in 2023? What's best for them, what's best for us, what will enable us to flourish? And I'm saying them and us because we are all children of God. There's no grandchildren in God's kingdom, in God's eyes. Galatians 3, 26 says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith is our Father. He wants to parent us. And you know, whether you're a Christian here today or not, I hope you would agree, I think you would agree, that a key aspect, a key goal of humanity is that it flourishes. The big question we need to grapple with is, that, does it flourish without God? You see, the modern world offers progress and perfection without God, but I have many concerns and doubts with this position, as do many, many other people in the world. You know, Nick spoke about this last week, didn't he? He talked about the deceptive philosophies of our culture, of which there are many. And you know, I recently read an interesting article that suggested we we don't really flourish without God. And it said, amongst other things, that we're more connected but lonelier. It said we have longer lifespans but higher suicide rates. It said we have more opportunities but spiking anxiety and depression. We observe that social and psychological dilemmas are at their highest intensity in this hyper-connected world, this world of radical and extreme individualism. You know, we're living in interesting times, don't we? We live in interesting times. And the passage today helps us answer that question. What enables us and the, the future generations to flourish? And the passage is about Jesus meeting little children and their parents, and he says, come to me. And it's the title of my talk this morning. Simply come to Jesus. And so we're going to be reading from Matthew 19, 13 to 15. If you have a Bible, if not, it's going to be up on the screen. And we, we're going to read about interaction between, between parents, between children, between Jesus' disciples and Jesus. And it's really short, but it's packed full of great stuff. So it says this. It says, then people, we assume parents, brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. They basically say, shoo, off you go, clear off. But Jesus said, no, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Hopefully you're not surprised by my choice of passage today. It's speaker's choice today. I could have gone with anything, but I chose to go with this. Hopefully you're not too surprised. Because in these three short verses, we see people wanting, we see parents wanting to get their children prayed for. It's a child presentation of sorts, isn't it? And in the Jewish culture, uh, similarly to today, it was, it was customary to bring children to a rabbi or a teacher of the law to, uh, to be prayed for, to be blessed and so what does this passage teach us? But actually, more importantly, how can it transform us this morning? And so we're just going to pray a really short prayer, and you're going to, you're going to help me. We're going to pray an ancient prayer that that is literally three words. Come, Holy Spirit. Can we say it together? Come, Holy Spirit. And so my first point is that I think the passage tells us we need to be like a child. We need to be like a child. The passage says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. What does this mean? I think it's useful for us to define kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. They're the same thing, by the way. Don't get confused. We've recently finished a series on this. So some of us will probably know. But if you don't, I still think George Ladd, who is a fairly famous theologian, I think he's got the best definition. It's succinct. And it says, the kingdom of God is his kingship. It's God's kingship, his rule, it's his authority. In simple terms, it's God's loving rule and reign in our lives. And in this passage, we get some really significant clues as to the best conditions for us to flourish in his kingdom, under his loving rule and reign. He says, be like one of these children. He says, be like Elspeth, be like Emma, be like Olivia. In other words, there's something essential, there's something of great importance, of great significance about the childlike perspective, about childlike characteristics and nature, both in terms of what a child does have, but also what a child doesn't yet have. That's important. Because, you know, it it seems to me that the older we get, the more we pick up stuff, that just isn't that good for us. And so to be as a child is essential. It's essential for the person who wants to see and experience the kingdom of heaven as God intends us to. So what are some of these childlike characteristics? Well, this is by no means an exhaustive list, but here's just a few that that came to me as I was preparing. First of all, children ask lots of questions. They are highly inquisitive, and they have few inhibitions. Do you know, I take my three-year-old Boyton Nursery, and what would take me five minutes, we budget 15 minutes. Why? Because he wants to pick up every single insect, every stone. He wants to grab feathers. He wants to shoot the green bins. He's got this game about shooting green bins. He's wanting to ask questions all the time. They're inquisitive, aren't they, children? They're full of wonder and awe. It's what's this, it's what's that, it's why. And you know, children also have very few inhibitions, don't they? The other day, I was at a local park and I heard, coming from the mouth of one of my children, I'll leave that to you, if you know my children, I heard these words. I didn't know Ed Sheeran had a dog. <laughs> and you know when you do that apologetic kind of wave? I mean, to be fair, the guy did a look, look, look a lot like Ed Sheeran. <laughs> but you know, I, I had to speak to her, I had to do the apologetic wave. And I had to kind of correct it. But it's a funny thing, isn't it? Because it made me think, we're we're taught embarrassment. We're taught self-consciousness. Children, they don't fear for their reputation or image. Do you know, have you noticed, have you noticed insecurities tend to grow with age? And if we are not rooted and secure in and through Christ, then we quickly listen to the voice of past hurts, of disappointments, or actually just the most popular voice at the time. Have you noticed that? And I was just also reminded of a time when Jesus couldn't be found by Mary and Joseph. Do you remember that story in the Bible? It's every parent's worst nightmare. He's gone missing. Where is he? And we pick up the story in Luke 2:46. We find the answer after 3 days. Imagine that. 3 days they found him in the temple courts sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Jesus asked questions. Are you inquisitive? Do you still ask questions? Where do you go for help and answers? And I want to tell you this morning, God can handle your questions. In fact, he welcomes them. The Bible clearly shows us this. There are just under 3,300 questions in the Bible, and many of them in the book of, of Psalms, which is about lament and grief. What else? Hope. Children hope, don't they? How often do we as adults lose hope? Why? Because we've live long enough to see hopes dashed. What else? Joy, boundless energy. Children have this amazing capacity to forgive. You notice that? Do you know, I asked my children this question. I said, why does God want us to be like children? And they said, well, children say yes to help daddy. And then they said, daddy, you're too independent, aren't you? And I said, oh, yes. (laughs) You know me well enough, kids. But they forgive me. They say children run into their parents' arms without hesitation. And they say, do you know, children, trust. Trust. That's a big one, isn't it? Children don't always know what's best for them, do they? I mean, if you've got kids here, you know that. But they trust their parents. But have you noticed that as we grow older, our desire to self-parent becomes stronger? We like to self-parent, don't we? And when, I mean, God's been speaking to me when I've been taking my my boy to school on on the walk. And when we first started walking to school, he would hold two fingers, because that's all he could grab, and he would hold them very tightly all the way to school. He would only let go when he wanted to change sides, because he he instinctively knew that he was safer on the inside, because that's the road there. And when we were crossing a road, when a dog approached, and he's a bit scared of dogs, he would hold my fingers all the tighter. He would draw close. But you know, even in the last few weeks, I've noticed his independence is growing. He lets go more frequently. He you already needs to be reminded to hold my hand at Rhodes. I'm already needing to say to him, no, come to me. And you know, I was just reminded of Isaiah 53, 6, where it says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. I wonder how your trust levels are this morning. I wonder what your thoughts are as you consider just some of those characteristics. Could it be that life in this fallen world has a tendency to beat these out of us? Have we forgotten that Jesus says, "Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Learn from these little ones. Learn from these little ones. They've got a lot to teach you adults. Be like a child. Secondly, be coming to Jesus. The passage says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. And we see throughout the Gospels, don't we, both parents and children, they were just drawn to Jesus. They, they came to him. And you would have been, wouldn't you? Miracles, amazing stories and teaching, love, kindness. The way he dealt with the overlooked is just incredible. It's radical. And Jesus engaged in a beautiful way with a whole spectrum of humanity. And he says, he says, come to me. He says, come to me. That's incredible. You know, have you ever considered just how incredible that is, that Jesus says, come to me? You know, we're currently running an alpha course, and I was reminded of this point a few weeks ago. It just made me think, gosh, that's so unique. Come to me. Every other religious faith says, look at this or look at that. It says, go to this or go to that. It says, do this and do that. And Jesus says, no, no, come, come to me. Come to me. Jesus said this because he knew who he was. He was God incarnate. He was God in human form. So he can make this incredible statement. And I want to tell you, when you come to him, when you believe this, it has incredible and far-reaching consequences. We see this throughout the gospel. Matthew 11:28. If We just go to the next slide. Jesus says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. In John 7:37, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me. Where do you go when you thirst for meaning? Where do you go when you're anxious? Jesus says, come to me. He says, I know what you need. I know what leads to true flourishing. He says, come to the light of the world. Jesus said that as well, didn't he? I wonder, do you have roast interspecs? We tend to have roast interspecs, don't we? If you're anything like me, you you look back and think, oh, weren't things better back when I was a lad? (laughs) We go back to a better time, don't we? And actually, if we do look back rationally, we know that time had its own issues, just as our time now has its own issues. Some things are better, some things are worse. But I think we have a tendency to look at the darkness of the world and focus on it. And we, and we start actually to fixate on how dark the darkness can be. Do you ever do that? I sometimes do that. And I think it's good to be aware of the darkness. I mean, that's, that's wise, isn't it? It's important to know and understand our culture so that we can see its faults, so we can speak wisely into the gaps. I mean, especially with children, absolutely. But don't fixate on how dark the darkness is fixate on how brilliantly light and bright Jesus is. And as a parent, we've got to do this. Because Jesus made another incredible claim, which we need to take seriously. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so what's my advice? What can we do to fix our eyes on the light? My advice is that we need to be like a banknote forgery expert, both as a parent, but as a child of God too. Do you know Banknote forgery experts? They're interesting. They need to know what's real and what's fake. And when they're training, it's fascinating. They don't really spend much time looking at false currency. They spend hours and hours and days looking at the real thing. They want to know the real deal intimately. And so when a fake comes along, they know it. Because it's not the real deal, it doesn't, it doesn't ring true, it doesn't, it doesn't feel right, it doesn't look right. And there are forgeries everywhere, aren't there? There are things in the world that lead to darkness and frankly, a huge amount of time being wasted. Do you recognize a fake? Do your children recognize fakes? Are we teaching ourselves and our children to recognize fakes? Do you fix your eyes on Jesus? Because he's the real deal. And thirdly, the passage tells us that we need to be lovingly and gently reminded. The passage says, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. The message version says, let the children alone. Do you know, Jesus loves his disciples really well. Why? Because he disciplines them, he corrects them, he reminds them when they misstep. He reminds them of truth. And every good parent does that, don't we? We sometimes need to be gently and lovingly rebuked, corrected, and reminded. And there are two rebukes in this passage. The first one is, that, uh, the, first one is the disciples give the to parents. They basically say, Do you remember that? Off you go. And the other is from Jesus to the disciples. And I love what the King James Version says. It just says, he was much displeased. Jesus was much displeased. And so we see this clash between Jesus and the disciples. The disciples have this desire to guard Jesus' time. And it was in conflict with Jesus' heart for his kingdom. And the disciples, in part, are saying to these parents, you know, you've had your time. Jesus has places to go. He's got people to see. You've had your time. Off you go. And this is the bit where we, we roll our eyes towards the disciples, don't we? You ever do that? And you think, don't they get it? Don't they get it? They've been with Jesus for two years now. What are they playing at? And not too long before this, Jesus has had a really similar interaction. I mean, listen to this. It'll be up on your screen. This is Matthew eighteen, four to 6. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called the little child to him, and placed the child among them, and he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This sounds familiar. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Is that just me, or is that really quite similar? And our eyes roll, don't we? Don't they? But then, of course, we realize how highly prone we are to act, just as the disciples did, and we need to be reminded too. So why did the disciples rebuke the parents, and by extension, the children? What's going on here? And this is really important for us. This is really, really important for us. You see, they were thinking like the world at the time. Do we ever do that? See, in that culture, children enjoyed little esteem and virtually no respect and while families appreciated and loved their own children, of course, society merely tolerated them. See, so the disciples were tainted by the religious thinking of the time, the thinking that they would have grown up with. You see, what you, what you learn, what you see in childhood and adulthood can take a long time to be unlearned and relearned, even if you've been taught by Jesus for two years. And so the Pharisees, the religious teachers of the law at the time, would likely have had the most significant religious influence on the disciples as they grew up. And what the religious teachers did is they placed a huge emphasis on keeping the law. By keeping the law, you earned your salvation. The problem is everything needs to be done for a child, doesn't it? Children and babies, they, they can't do anything. They don't bring anything to the table. They are utterly, utterly dependent on adults for their needs. They just take and take and take. Do you see the problem? Do you see why the disciples shunned the parents? Because they were thinking like that. And yet Jesus says, no, 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 don't hinder them. Be like them. If you want to experience my rule and reign, you need to be like them. What's the most important childlike characteristic that Jesus is speaking of then? Utter dependence and neediness. Utter dependence and neediness. You know, neediness, it's not a positive word in our society. It's, oh, they're a needy person. But if you want to be a child of God, it's essential. Jesus is saying, you can't come to me with your arms full of everything you think makes you good and worthy. He wants to you to come to him like a child. He says, let me parent you so you can really flourish. This is why the gospel is such good news, because you're welcome empty-handed. You're welcome despite your past, which, if it's anything like mine, contains shame and sin and plenty of sin. Do you know, I'm a work in progress, but I know I'm saved by grace through faith. Do you know, there's a story about a little adopted girl who wanted to go to Disneyland. I mean, who doesn't want to go to Disneyland, kids or parents? And this girl had been in an adopted family, but for various reasons, it just hadn't worked out. And so she found herself in a new family, a new adopted family. It was a Christian family. The problem was that when her previous adopted family went on holiday to Disneyland, they took their biological children with them, but they left their adopted daughter with a family friend. Usually, at least in the child's mind, this happened because she did something wrong that meant she didn't go. But, good news, her new family had booked for them to all go to Disneyland. And in the month leading up to the trip, her behaviour was terrible. As the days on the calendar moved closer to the trip, her mutinies, her negative behaviour, multiplied. And a couple of days before the family headed to Disneyland, the father pulled his adopted daughter onto his lap to talk through her latest escapade. I know what you're doing, she stated flatly. You're not going to take me to Disneyland, are you? Suddenly, her downward spiral started to make some sense. She knew she could earn her way into the Magic Kingdom. She would tried and failed at that before. So she was living in a way that placed her as far as possible from that place. And her father asked her, is this trip something we're doing as a family? She nodded, eyes full of tears. Then you're going with us. Sure, there are going to be some consequences to help you remember what's right and what's wrong. But you're part of our family. We're not leaving you behind. And they went and they had a wonderful time. And they got back. And the girl said, Daddy, I finally got to go to Disneyland. But it wasn't because I was good. It's because I'm yours. Have you ever had a truly penny-dropping moment in your life? When you suddenly understand something, black and white turns to glorious colour. Do you know, understanding the gospel for me was a penny-dropping moment in my life, and the the pennies just continued to drop. This is something that every child, in other words, all of us need to hear. This is the gentle and loving reminder. Remember, as adults, we struggle to change. <laughs> we can resort to our default. We can be like the disciples and get fixated on the wrong things. What's our default? Well, my default is that, we usually, is that usually we can earn our way. We place huge emphasis on what we can bring to the table. We can lose our sense of awe and wonder and joy. We can lose our trust. So we always need to hear those words. Come to me. Come to me, dear, precious child. Jesus says, come to me. He says, come to me like a child who has nothing, who's got nothing to offer, nothing to give. He says, that's the best way to receive me. That's how you will flourish. He says, I want you to be needy. I want you to utterly depend on me. Just accept my embrace. And that's hard for some of us to hear, isn't it? Why? Because we we think we have something. We have built something for ourselves, success, wealth, career. And so to empty our hands is really hard. The thing is, we we can't hold a hand if it's full of stuff. And you know, in this passage we've read this morning, we see that the parents want Jesus to place his hands on their children. And he does. And it got me thinking about his hands. His hands. What hands our Saviour has? You ever thought about that? Do you know these were hands that reach out to lepers and touch them? These were hands that, even though they didn't need to touch to heal, you know Jesus healed people from miles away, didn't He? Even though they didn't need to touch to heal, they did because He's the Father who wants to embrace and touch His children. He wants to hold His children. These were hands that washed the filthy feet of the disciples. In a display as the servant King who came to save. What hands? What hands our Saviour has? Do you know, I don't know what comes to mind for you instinctively when I say, what do you think of when I say the word hands to you? Because you'll be thinking of something. I asked my wife the same question, and she smiled and said, gentleness and kindness. And for about 10 seconds, which is 10 seconds too long, I thought, oh, that's a lovely reflection on me, isn't it? I'm such a good husband. And I thought, hang on, no, 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 no. My wife has had 30 years of knowing in the heart and the hands of Jesus Christ. She had a childhood where she was brought to the hands of Jesus every day by her parents. But I'm conscious in this room it's not the same for all of us. It's not the same for all of us. And perhaps your initial instinct was this, hands a bit like this whereby, I don't know, a parent, maybe a significant person in your life has said, don't come any closer, that's far enough, this is my barrier. Do you know there's a story of a father two centuries ago who took his, his young son fishing and they spent the day together. And they both kept tar- uh, diaries, which is what you did at the time, you kept diaries. And generations later, they compared the diaries and they worked out, "Ah, oh, these guys have gone fishing together. Same date, same stuff. And the boy's entry for that day said, went fishing with father, the most wonderful day of my life. And the father's extract simply said, went fishing with the boy, a day wasted. I want you to know God will never say a day wasted to you. He will never say that. He longs to spend time with you. And if it's fishing all day, then so be it. He longs to spend time with you. Jesus' hands, they don't do that. They turn and they say, no, 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 come to me. Come to me. What you see and learn in childhood and adulthood can take a long time to be unlearned and relearned. But listen, Jesus is the best father and the best teacher for the job. Perhaps your initial instinct was worse. And I'm really sorry if this is the case. Perhaps it was that. Perhaps you associate hands with pain. But I want you to know that Jesus turns that around. And he does this. And his heart knocks on the door of your heart. This is what Jesus does. In Revelation 3.20, he says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. He's saying, let me come in and parent you in a fallen world. Let me come in and give you hope and rest and peace. He says, let me come in and heal you. <coughs> will you let him in? Will you let him in today? But perhaps, and this is the most common one I would say, your initial instinct was this. It's aloofness, it's distant. Perhaps they represent neglect, maybe distance from an earthly parent, I don't know. Or perhaps life has just been disappointing. It hasn't really satisfied. It hasn't lived up to the expectations you had when you were a child, when you are full of hope and joy and trust. Jesus turns that around. And he says, Come. Come, child, look at the marks on my hand. Let me show you what I did for you on the cross when love triumphed over all. Let me show you the absolute opposite of indifference, of aloofness, of neglect. Let me show you how much I love you. You're my son, you're my daughter. I love you so much that I'd bear all your sin and shame and nail it to a cross. Jesus is our wonderful inverter. He changes things. And he says, come to me. In John 6, 37, Jesus said, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. You are a precious child. You are a precious child. This is what it is to flourish. This is what it is to flourish. That's the question we asked at the start. And as children of God, we need to remind ourselves of the gospel every single day because we revert back to our default. And the best way to come to Jesus is with empty hands like this and an open heart, ready to receive. So I've got some questions. Will you come to him today? And if that's something you want to do, I'd love to speak with you at the end and pray with you. Will you come back and keep coming back to him if you felt distance? If you've walked away, we can all do that. Do you need to be gently and lovingly reminded this morning? Have you resorted back to your default where you think it's what you bring? Do you need to repent of that? I certainly did when I was preparing this talk. I was down on my knees. Do you need to repent knowing though that you have a father, a father who forgives and restores, who says, come to me. I really feel that God is asking some of us to be childlike again. We pray, come Holy Spirit, at the start. And so what has the Holy Spirit been saying to you this morning? And so can I ask the band to come back? And we're going to sing in response. And we're just going to, I just want to pray for us. Can I do that? Can I pray for us? And if you're comfortable, should we do that gesture? Where we just place our hands out. Ready to receive? Where we're saying, no, 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 it's not about me, it's about you, I want to receive. I'm just going to pray for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, so much. You always say, come to me. Thank you that so many in this room have felt the call to come to you, Lord. And we say, come, Holy Spirit. And have your way with us this morning. We ask, transform us more into the family likeness so that we can be more like Jesus. Because Jesus trusted his father all the way to the cross for us. God, help us to trust you. Help us to find our joy in you. And I ask that you would bring hope to those who need it restored this morning. And Father, daily remind us that the best way to come to you is with empty hands. Just like a child. And would you keep speaking to us, Lord, this week, this year, for the rest of our lives about what Jesus said when he said, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray these things. Amen.